Hey there, what's up, Warriors? It is Jeff from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 337. So a little while back, I did a very popular episode that people really liked on the Ten Commandments of Self-Defense. Now this week, I'm going to be taking the same concept to my holster with my top ten view on absolute must-follow rules for concealed carry. It's all coming right up, but don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the heavy lifting for you with this week's free show notes, including your handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points. All you have to do is head on over to www.warriorlifepodcast.com slash 337 download it all absolutely free. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Hey there, welcome everybody. This is Jeff Anderson, Executive Director of WarriorLife.com. And listen, before we jump into today's topic, I know that this is a topic that everybody has strong opinions on. And these are my opinions. I'm going to give you my top 10 commandments for concealed carry and rules that you should be following to stay self-protected. But I realize that everybody does have their own opinions. I want to hear yours. So please go to the blog where we have this podcast episode and leave me your own comments. What are some things that you find to be a commandment for concealed carry? Things that you found useful for your own personal carry for personal defense and head on over to warriorlife.com in the podcast section there to go ahead and leave me your comments. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump into these, all right? So again, these are these are the things, that, I mean, there's a lot that when it comes to concealed carry. There's a lot of things that you can do, but I find that there are some things that you absolutely must do or you must consider in order to be responsibly armed as well as effectively armed because there's a lot of training out there and a lot of concepts and a lot of things that I find online which I feel can really get you killed in a real attack. They work great in training. They work great at the range. But in a real attack, in the reality of a real attack, then it's, it's, they just, they just fall short. And we've tested this. We've pressure tested it time and time again in our classes and our force on force training. And I can tell you that it's a real eye opener for a lot of people about what they can and they can't do based upon the reality of an attack versus what they've been trained for in the past and what they practiced in the past. So again, I'm going to give you my top 10 commandments right now. And some of these are going to be a little bit more obvious, but I might have a different spin on them. And some of them might really change the way that you look at carrying a weapon for personal defense. I think you're all going to find something in here that's going to make you a better protector today from listening to these top 10. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into it here. Commandment number one is to carry everywhere. Concealed carry is a lifestyle choice. It is not a a tactical choice that you make. It is not a tactical, um, really cool little feel-good thing that you carry for personal confidence. It is a lifestyle. We carry because we know that when seconds count, the police are going to be minutes away. When you're in a parking lot or at the ATM machine or in your car at a red light or even in your home, that moment where it is Pucker Factor 1000, you are the only thing that's going to be between your family or your own safety and the bad guy who's trying to take away that safety and trying to attack you. So that means that you have to be prepared at every moment of the day as best that you possibly can because criminals are going to look for the worst moment where you're not prepared, when you're putting, when you're putting 
groceries in the car, when you're at home eating dinner, they, they're looking for the times where you are going to be the most distracted and the least prepared mentally to be able to defend yourself. So that means that you have to be prepared all the time. And that means carrying everywhere, even in your home. Now, a lot of people will come home and, and they take off their gun and they'll put it in the safe or they'll put it in the bedside table where they think they're going to need it next because you're assuming that there's going to be a, a, a nighttime home invasion. When again, home invaders and other criminals are looking for the times when you're going to be least prepared. And we get this false sense of confidence even at home. So just because you are going to the beach and you're wearing shorts or you don't like wearing an ankle holster, whatever it is, you've got to find a way that you can accommodate wearing everywhere. Now, that includes how you wear your weapon as well as what weapon you actually carry. So, for example, I typically carry my Glock 26 or my Glock 19, but I love my Ruger LCP 380 pocket pistol. This is super comfortable. If I'm in not wearing uh, jeans or, or something or a shirt, if I'm just wearing, like I live in Florida now, so if I'm just wearing a, a loose T-shirt, it might not cover my gun where I'm, where I'm carrying, where I'm, I'm going to show that it's, it's not going to be concealed. So I might carry my pocket pistol with me if I'm going to the beach or if I'm going for a hike somewhere. So there are different ways that you can carry your gun, and you want to make it where it's comfortable, but it is still concealed, but you have it easily accessible as well. So make sure that you're choosing weapons that are going to facilitate this, as well as having a way to carry your gun that will make it available to you at any moment of the day. Okay. Commandment number two is don't print. So a few years ago in Florida, 43-year-old man had spotted an older gentleman in a Walmart parking lot, and he saw that he was packing a gun under his coat, and he was headed into the store. So this 43-year-old sheepdog felt like he was on hyper alert, and he was going to stop the next active shooter scenario that we'd, we'd seen on the news time and time again. So he went inside the store, and he tackled the gun guy in the store, and they were scuffling around on the floor, and he kept shouting, he's got a gun, he's got a gun, he's got a gun. And the guy who he had tackled kept yelling, I have a concealed carry license. I have a concealed carry license. So fortunately, nothing happened here where somebody was shot or injured. The police showed up and everything got sorted out. But the point is, we are in a culture war in the United States between paranoid gun haters and responsibly armed citizens. Now, maybe this 43-year-old guy in there, maybe he wasn't a gun hater who was looking to stop an active shooter. Maybe he was a considered like a sheepdog, a protector, a warrior, and he thought he was really saving people from this this active shooter that was walking in there. Nonetheless, the whole point here is that concealed carry means just that. Don't show your weapon. And that's not just to overreacting heroes looking to stop at the next mass murder event, but also to bad guys who might be studying you very, very closely if you're in their crosshairs for a crime because they're looking to see if you have a weapon. So if you're printing your weapon, and I've seen, I've, I've seen guys do this too. I've seen people in, in grocery store shopping, I'm sorry, grocery store parking lots where they have leaned over to take something out of the back of their car or, and I can see their gun just pops right out. They're wearing it back on their hip and there it is. Uh, I've seen people on motorcycles going down the street and I can see the gun in there. So you, you've got to be very conscious about whether or not you are showing your weapon 
to anybody out there. So make sure that you are concealing. Don't print the weapon. So printing is where your your weapon is visible through the the clothing that you have or or you know made visible you can actually make the outline of the of the weapon there. So even when it's concealed, even when it's behind a shirt, you might still be printing and showing somebody that you have a weapon there. Don't do it. Make sure that you can you're wearing clothing that is going to help with that. So black clothing, very dark clothing is going to help that a lot. Things that are a little bit looser that are going to allow you to get the the clothing out of the way and be able to draw your weapon faster. All of that makes a big difference. So don't print and clothe yourself accordingly. All right. Commandment number three is have a flashlight on you. So it's estimated that about 80% of attacks happen in low light. And there's a reason for that. Bad guys want to be able to sneak up on you and again, attack you when you are least expecting it. And given the cover of darkness, that is going to help them out a lot. So that means that you could very well be attacked, and it might even be more likely that you're attacked in a low-light scenario. When that happens, or even if you sense a threat, a flashlight is going to help you there. In fact, flashlights help on a number of different uh, fronts here. They can help you deter an attack because you can take it off of your belt as you're going through a parking lot at any time at night. I always have my flashlight out, and I'm scanning the area, so I look like I'm aware Bad guys don't like people who are aware. They're harder to sneak up on. They want to get you when you're not paying attention. If you're showing that you're paying attention, you're going to help deter an attack, and they're going to look for somebody that is a softer target. Don't be that soft target. They can also help you detect an attack, because if they are lurking behind a vehicle, or if you notice that somebody's feet are there, but you don't see a body up above the vehicle in a parking lot, then it can help you detect an attack early. You can also identify a threat. So if you do feel like somebody is lurking in the shadows or you're trying to, or you, you think that there could be a bad guy out there, using your flashlight will help you identify legally whether or not they are actually a threat. So you don't want to just pull out old Betsy and start banging away at them just because you think that they are a bad guy or, or even take it out and point it at them could be a, a felony charge right there with brandishing if you unlawfully show your weapon at, let's say, there was a family that was there and they got kids there and and you pull your weapon out because you thought that there was somebody there, but they actually didn't have a weapon, they weren't a threat at all. With a flashlight, you can identify whether or not they do have a weapon, whether it's somebody that, even if they don't have a weapon there, you, don't, you still don't have to take out your weapon, you can still have your hand near your weapon or on your weapon without it being shown. But you can, I'd rather flash somebody with my tactical flashlight and blind them and piss them off, but able to identify that they weren't a threat and not do anything unlawful. But also, I can identify with, uh, legally, I can explain that, yes, I, I had my light on them. I identified that they had a knife or a gun, or maybe it's just a, a, a cell phone. You, you've got to be able to identify from a legal standpoint. You don't want to shoot somebody unlawfully that wasn't a threat. Um, again, you've got to be able to identify that they are a threat before you can pull that weapon and be able to um, legally stop them with it, okay? But the other thing is that it can also help you defend yourself. So most attacks are happening in a, an ambush sort of thing, so you might have to be able to get to your gun and be able to use it to defend yourself, which brings me to commandment number four, which is to know a few hand-to-hand -hand combat moves. 
again, most happen, uh, most attacks are going to happen within about nine feet or so, according to statistics. And they happen because they're typically an ambush, because that, that bad guy wants to get as close to you as he possibly can, or as an, an escalation of an argument that happens. It gets out of control. So when that happens, you're not going to likely be able to just draw your weapon. I don't care how fast you are. You're most likely going to have to fight to your gun. And that means you are going to have to use your hands before you ever get to anything metal. And a flashlight, if you already have it in your hand and somebody jumps out at you, you can use it as a striking weapon there, especially if you have a tactical flashlight. You're going to be able to use it for that. Usually they have like an attack bezel on the end of them, so that's going to help you do damage to their face. Meanwhile, you have that out. You, you, you can blind them with that light. So there's things that you can use that light forward as a force multiplier to be able to get to your weapon. But you are going to have to know some sort of hand-to-hand moves and some striking these. Now, it's not, you don't have to, I'm not saying you have to go down to the local McDojo down in the strip center and take Taekwondo classes with the little eight-year-olds, but you do want to know some things that are going to allow you to create distance between you and your attacker and be able to get to your weapon, all right? Commandment number five is to learn how to shoot with both eyes open. All right, a little controversy here. I know many of you are not, you know, you're, you're used to going down to the local gun range and then taking close aim with one eye shut and be able to look down those sights and be able to look at your target and get that sh- shot group nice and tight there. Well, look, in a real attack, you're not going to be able to overcome your body's own survival systems. And I mean that bio biologically. Your body, your brain needs to take in information to be able to determine your next move, whether that's to fight back or take flight. You, your brain is looking for data to be able to make that instant decision. In order to be able to do that, your visual senses are the most important factor that it's going to use, which means that it's not going to let you make the decision to just close one eye and take careful aim in an ambush attack. Now, you can do that in a different type of attack, like maybe it's an active shooter and you're going to be able to, you need, you might be at a, a longer distance and you need a more accurate shot. That's different. I'm talking about an ambush where somebody jumps out at you, they start attacking you, you're able to get some distance there because you learned a couple of hand-to-hand moves that work really well, you've got distance, you draw your weapon, you're going to have both eyes open. We have pressure tested this time and time again with with seasoned veterans, chest-thumping, knuckle-dragging, gun-toting, people who have, have who are in law enforcement FBI military you name it we have pressure tested it your eyes are going to be open at that distance you're not going to be taking aim so that means you need to learn how to shoot with both eyes open now that may not look really cool down at the local gun range if you have that target up and close up close and personal with you but you've got to be able to learn to shoot from retention with both eyes open and at that short distance without taking aim So learn how to do it because you're going to do it if you're actually attacked. All right. Okay. We are halfway through my top 10 commandments for concealed carry, but my, my, my fancy arithmetic says that we've got five more commandments coming up. And a couple of these are going to be a smidgen controversial also. And I'd love to get your comments for them on the blog over at warriorlife.com. But first, check out this special message. In the last two decades, over 7,000 American soldiers have lost their lives on the battlefield. Yet in that same time period, we've lost over 100,000 to veteran suicide. 
and hundreds of thousands more of our brave warriors and their families continue to suffer every single day from the mental scars of war, otherwise known as combat-related post-traumatic stress or combat PTSD. Enough is enough. We're doing something about it. Our 501c3 nonprofit, Operation Save Our Soldiers, is helping to change the lives of our brave men and women struggling with combat PTSD with our direct sponsorship of an exclusive warrior retreat and a revolutionary new therapy that's literally putting an end to their symptoms and suffering in as little as just one two-hour session without drugs or the old-school talk therapy pushed by the VA. The results are instant and permanent, but we need your help. Soldiers pay nothing for the solutions they receive at these warrior retreats, which means from time to time we have to ask for assistance to help sponsor their traveling attendance. With as little as just a $5 donation right now, you can help change the life of one of our brave soldiers and help them finally win the battle against combat PTSD once and for all. 100% of your tax-deductible donation goes straight to sponsoring a veteran's attendance, so you'll know your gift will directly impact their life and get them the help that they need. Many talk about supporting our troops. Today I'm asking you to do something about it. Please help sponsor a soldier today by going to www.operationsaveoursoldiers.org. Okay, we're back, and I have five more concealed carry commandments lined up for you, so let's go ahead and jump back in now. Commandment number six is to have a high-visibility tritium front sight on your handgun. So again, if, if attacks happen in low light, you need to be able to see your sights in order to be accurate if you take a shot where you are able to see your sights. Now, as an open-eye shooter, my focus is on the attacker. So I'm not using my sights anyway. Now, again, this is a little controversial. I know some of you do things differently than I do. I get it. But this is from my own training and our pressure testing. My focus is on the attacker. I've got to be able to see, does he have a weapon? What's he doing? Is he going down? It's very important to focus in on the attacker. Now, most people I know out there are focusing on the front sight, and the attacker is blurry. I've got some other podcast episodes where I talk about point shooting and close combat shooting and the importance of focusing in on the attacker and not your sights. But again, I'm willing to, to hear your claims on the, uh, on the blog as well. Um, but here's the thing. With the right training and with the, with, the, with the right sights, you're able to do both. Okay, and it doesn't take much practice to be able to do this, but you do need high visibility sights in order for this to work. And I call it the, the, the ghost sight. And basically it is you're focused on the attacker, whereas, whereas most people are focusing on the front sight and the attacker is blurry. Instead, you focus in on the attacker because I've found that that's where your vision is going to go anyway, because your brain is trying to take in the data of the ambush attack. It's not looking at your front sights. However, with a little bit of practice, those sights will be blurry, but they will be there. So it does offer you some accuracy even in close range without actually, quote-unquote, aiming. But you do need a good sight to be able to do this. And it's one of the first things I do with my weapon to be able to um, kind of optimize it for a close quarters ambush. And that is a high-visibility tritium front sight. So the tritium is going to be a – it's a it's a little, little nuclear device, if you will, that makes it a glow-in-the-dark sight. Um, it's going to give you that, it's going to give you that front sight and it's going to glow in the dark. So it doesn't need, there, there are a couple different types of, of night sights out there. One needs to kind of charge up with, uh, other light. If you remember like the glow in the dark stickers and things like that as a kid, same type of concept. It needs light in order to be able to show up at night. But the tritium is a little bit of, um, it's a radioactive material that allows it to be lit up without having to be, 
kind of charged with a light. So I recommend getting a tritium. It's a little bit more expensive, but it's well worth it. We're talking about your life here, okay? Now, the other thing I have on there is a bright orange ring around the tritium. So this allows me, even in daytime, to be able to pick up that orange and that green front sight, even as I'm not looking at it, as I'm looking at an attacker, as I'm looking at my target, that that sight is going to catch my eye much better than just a regular white front dot that you've got there. Now, the one that I use is an Ameriglow. I love Ameriglow. I think it's a really great front sight. I highly recommend them. They're not sponsoring the, the show at all or anything like that. It's just this is what I use, and it's what I recommend. So that's what I'm recommending to you. All right, commandment number seven is to always have a round in the chamber when you're carrying. So I know this is very controversial for a lot of people, and look, You've got to be able to build up the confidence to be able to walk around and not feel like you're going to shoot your Johnson off when you're carrying appendix carry. And it does take some practice. You want to make sure that you are training it, that you, you get either good quality training from an instructor or you're practicing responsibly with a round in the chamber and from a draw. You, most gun ranges aren't going to allow you to do that. So you're going to need to find one that allows you to do that or an instructor that has access to one and can train you better. But you definitely have to understand that, again, attacks happen in the bad breath zone. It's going to be typically an ambush scenario. So don't think that you're going to have the wits about you to be able to draw your weapon and rack the slide at that distance. I don't care how many times you practiced your your Israeli carry or Israeli draw where you're racking the slide at the same time as you're pushing the weapon out. You might not get your weapon pushed out in front of you. At that distance, you might be in a situation where you are grappling around for that gun. They could have a hold on it. Remember, a lot of police officers are shot with their own weapon as they are struggling with an attacker. Do you really think that you're going to have better chances than a police officer who's trained in this? You might have to shoot that person off of you in order to be able to get that distance again. Or be, and, and if that, if there's no round in there, you pull that trigger, nothing's happening there. So, I suggest that you've got to really get used to and confident and trained in carrying your weapon with a round in the chamber, responsibly, of course. Okay? All right, commandment number eight is to load expanding ammunition. So often called hollow point. There are some other versions out there that are expanding ammunition that, that aren't hollow points, and, and that's kind of what I carry. Um, but look, it's going to take more than one round typically to stop an attacker who is really, truly intent on doing you harm. They might not even know that they've been shot. So you're going to need, and at that close range, you might need, I mean, there you're going to need several rounds. You're going to need several rounds. So you need to put as many rounds into the target as is going to stop them. Your goal there is to do as much damage as possible. So if you're only able to get two or three rounds off before that person is on top of you and maybe gets the gun away from you or or whatever happens from that point on, you need however many rounds in them as you can get in. And those rounds need to do as much damage as possible. And you need that hydrostatic shock, that, that wave inside of the body potentially to rupture organs to be able to stop that person. You're your rounds might not be in optimal places where they're going to stop an attacker. So you need them to do as much damage as possible. And an FMJ bullet, a full metal jackal bullet with a rounded nose on it, that is not going to do as much damage. It's not going to have as much hydrostatic shock as an expanding round that's going to mushroom inside of the body and create that wave in there that could rupture organs. So 
that's what you're going to need to load in there. You need to be able to stop your attacker. Now, this is actually a responsible thing as well because you're going to, you, you also need to understand that you're responsible for every round that you have coming out of that gun. And FMJ bullets can pass right through an attacker. There's nothing, they don't expand, so they're just going to go and keep going. And so you could have where the round goes right through somebody and strikes an innocent bystander there. So you've got to make sure that you are loading expanding ammunition, not just for the sake of stopping your attacker, but also for legal reasons that you're going to be able to avoid anybody else getting hurt that should not get hurt. Okay. All right. Commandment number nine is that, I'm sorry, commandment number nine is to have first aid equipment on you. Look, shootings don't always turn out like the hero movies where, you know, you're the good guy, the bad guy goes down, the cops come, everybody gives you a big medal, key to the city, and you're good to go. You or a loved one can be mortally wounded in an attack and waiting for first responders for a while. If they even can find you or you're able to get to them, maybe you're your cell phone gets busted, you're in a parking lot, now you've got to go find, somebody's got to either show up or you have to go find somebody or you have to go try and find another cell phone or a phone somewhere. You don't know what's going to happen at that moment of reality there. So you've got to make sure that you have some way to be able to stop bleeding in order, while you're waiting for first responders to come there. So the last thing you want is for a loved one, maybe a, a child or, or, or a spouse who's bleeding in front of you, dying right in front of you from a knife wound or a gunshot wound as you're waiting for first responders and you're watching their life slip away and you don't have anything there to be able to save them. So you need to at least have a tourniquet with you and I also recommend a pressure dressing because not everything requires a tourniquet and there are some other, I mean, if somebody is shooting center mass or if there's lots of wounds there, you, you're going to need something else there. So I recommend a pressure dressing and a tourniquet, but you also need to know some basic first aid so that you can save a life also. You don't need to know a lot. You don't need to be an EMT, but it's you're going to need the things on you to be able to uh, stop bleeding um, or be able to improvise that, but that requires the training to go with it. So definitely have some first aid equipment with you. All right. And commandment number 10 is to practice your dry fire at home. So dry fire is where you are training with your weapon without rounds, without even rounds being in the gun, around the gun, in the same room as the gun. You also you want to be very, very safe. You can also use airsoft, which is what I typically use a lot of, or you have a cert training pistol, which is a laser training pistol. There's a lot of different ways that you can do dry fire at home. But dry fire is way more realistic for personal defense than the gun range is. You're way too limited at the gun range. Most people don't do it. Most people, and they'll admit that, they know they should be doing dry fire, but they don't do it. The key here, the secret, is to make it fun. So I have a tactical fun house, I call it, in my headquarters and also at home. And you, I give away blueprints to this. So you can actually get free blueprints to how to create your own tactical fun house that makes your dry fire training at home, way more fun, way more realistic than any gun range that you're going to go to. Um, and we give it away actually in a, an advanced dry fire masterclass that I do online with my friend Ox. Now, he covers this revolutionary way. This has been a, a game changer when it comes to training with your firearm using dry fire and getting way more realistic tactical training even in your own, own home, even solo. So you don't even need a training partner for this. 
it will 6x your skill advancement. I promise you, because you're training six things at the same time, which actually helps your brain to hold on to the information more long-term as opposed to a short-term training that might go to on a, on a weekend event. I don't care how tactical those things are. They feel great, but you don't retain the actual skills. Ox goes into this way that he developed that actually helps you get faster development and better long-term learning for the actual skills for personal defense. So you can go and you can attend the master class over at praxisclass.com. The system is called Praxis, and it's P-R-A-X-I-S. So if you go to praxisclass.com, you can sign up for the masterclass. You can learn how to do this, and I also give away a free copy of the Tactical Funhouse video course where I show you how to put together your own do-it-yourself tactical range in your own home, wherever you, wherever you want to. You can do this in a spare bedroom, in a garage. It doesn't matter, but it's going to make your dry fire training more effective and more fun. I promise that the class itself is going to be mind-blowing. You're going to learn a lot in the class, things that you can make, you can take action on right away that are going to make you a better protector. So just head on over to praxisclass.com, and you can go ahead and sign up for that master class there. All right? All right, those are my 10 commandments for concealed carry. Now I want to hear from you. Make sure that you head on over to our blog over at warriorlife.com. Click on the little podcast link at the top. that will take you over to the page where you can find episode 337. And leave me a comment there. What are some other commandments that you've added here that you think I may have missed or did not cover? But, hey, I've only got 10 commandments I'm doing here. So leave me a comment. What are some other things that you see as commandments for concealed carry? I can't wait to hear from you. Or you can go on over to warriorlifetips.com and you can also leave a tip there. If we use your tip on an upcoming show or in one of our videos on our video channel, we'll make sure to send you a free thank you gift in the mail. That is over at warriorlifetips.com. Until our next Warrior Life broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.